Sisters, please be seated. Well, let, my, let me add my greetings, my good morning to you. Um, as Dickie has already done, my name is Ed. Uh, I'm married to Katie, and we have two boys, uh, Simi and Benji. We live and we work in Central Asia, um, and we are uh, mission partners with WEC, and it is a joy to be with you here this morning. Thank you very much for having us. Why don't we pray before we get uh, into this psalm together? Father God, we are immensely grateful that as we come to your word, we know that you speak through it. And so, Father, we pray now that as we spend time in your words together, we ask that you would give us the listening ears that we need to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We pray that by your spirit you would be at work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak things of truth. And Lord, I ask that you would be at work such that as we leave here, each and every one of us would leave more in love with the Lord Jesus as a result of our time together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question to start. Uh, have you ever received a gift that required other people in order for it to be properly enjoyed? Well, we got back to the UK a few weeks ago, and as is my want when I come back to the UK, I took a trip to Decathlon uh, because you can never have too much outdoors stuff. And I spent some time in Decathlon and stumbled across a quick cricket set for 9 99 and thought, well, given that it's England and it's the summer and the ashes are going on, this would be great to introduce our boys to cricket. Never have we played so much cricket in the rain. I have fond memories growing up playing cricket in the park in Sheffield. I have no fond memories of playing cricket by myself. The batsman needs the bowler. The bowler needs a batsman. You need fielders. You need a wicket keeper. So we bought this, and we gave it to our boys. We sat down in the car, and no sooner had we sat down in the car than the, let's generously call them questions, but it was just bickering. It's my cricket set. It's mine. And it wasn't until we got to the park that the boys fully appreciated that there's no point in it being mine, because it can't be mine by myself. It's of no use if I don't have other people to play with it. And our passage today follows a similar theme. And that's the idea that God's blessing, his salvation, his face shining upon us, which is the promise in our passage today, 
It's not merely for us. It's not merely for me to enjoy. But rather, its purpose is broader than that. And his purpose in blessing his people is that others would then be drawn into that blessing. Salvation is not something for us to hold on to, like a child insisting that the cricket set is theirs and theirs alone. Rather, the blessing that we have received is also for a watching world. And as we'll see, that's not just the friends and the neighbors that we have who live around us uh, here in Chesterfield. But the Lord has worldwide scope and dominion when he talks about the blessings that he is giving. And so very simply this morning, we have two points. Our God is a God of blessing. And our second point is this. Our blessings are for the world. Well, Psalm 67, uh, what do we know about it? As we come to any passage of Scripture, we like to ask questions. What do we know about it? Well, actually, not very much. We don't have an author given. There's nothing at the top that says that it's you know, written by David or anything like that. We have no specific context or events that the Uh, psalm is tied to. In fact, if you read the commentaries, even the translators have struggled to know what verb tense is to use. Is it thanksgiving? Is it request? The commentators suggest a dating range, anything from pre-exodus to post-exile. So basically, at any point in the whole of the Old Testament, this could have been written. And those are good questions to ask, Uh, and sometimes they are helpful to bring greater clarity to the text, the who, the what, the when. And sometimes, as with today, we're just going to have to run with what the text gives us. But here's my main assumption as we approach it, and that's that there is a future focus to this. Why do I think there's a future focus to this? Well, because... There must be a future focus because the realities that are described are not yet fully seen. The fulfillment of the psalmist's work is not yet complete. The Lord's work is not yet known across the earth. The ends of the earth do not yet fear him. And we don't have to travel very far to know that that's the case. So we've got here in front of us a psalm, which is a psalm both of praise and of supplication. There are requests that are built in with the psalmist's thanksgiving. And as we look at this psalm, we see that it is predicated. The whole thing rests at the very beginning on God's grace, his blessing, his face, turned towards his people. But perhaps as we read through, you noticed that in the middle of the psalm, in verses 3 and 5, we've got a repeated phrase there. And as we approach any passage of Scripture, things that are repeated are things that should uh, catch our attention. May the peoples praise you, O God. 
May all the peoples praise you. Now, if we look through the rest of the psalm, we'll see that this isn't actually the only reference to the peoples. Look with me at verse 2. That your ways may be known on the earth or on earth, your salvation among all nations. Verse 4, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. The peoples are the ones that the Lord rules justly. He guides the nations of the earth. Down in verse 7, God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. See, things that we do know about this psalm, or we know that it was written uh, to, or in the context of the people of Israel, and yet this psalm is saturated in those who are not Israel. It's saturated in those who are not God's people. These are all Old Testament shorthand words for them. The nations, the peoples, the ends of the earth, that is all them. And yet, at the same time, as we read through, there's nothing in this which is excluding them. Instead, it's the total opposite. It is a psalm of including them. The desire is not that they suffer for being other, but rather that they are brought into and under the Lord's blessing. Our God is a God of blessing. Look with me at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. So we have here the same words that we have in Numbers chapter 6. As you listen to this, your, your ears should... If you know something of your Old Testament, they should prick up because this is a repeat or, if you're a different commentator, possibly the source of what we have in Numbers chapter 6. And Numbers chapter 6 is the blessing that the Lord tells the high priest to give to the people. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. And then here we have it. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is the blessing of the high priest to the people of Israel. It's not a sort of generic word of niceness at the beginning of the psalm. No, this invoked for the people reading it, for the people singing it, because it was supposed to be sung. This was a covenant-specific word of peace, of blessing, and of grace. And so this is what the, the psalmist has in mind as he writes down the beginning of his psalm, as he lays his foundation upon which he's going to put everything else. But notice there has been a slight change in the words. It's not the Lord bless you, it's the Lord bless us. And make his face to shine upon 
us. The psalmist is including himself in with those who he is preparing this song for. And so the opener then is a reminder of God's covenantal love and the way in which his name covering his people is the pinnacle of blessing for the people. They are blessed first and foremost because of their association with Yahweh. That right relationship with him and his willingness to cover them in that way is the primary form of blessing for the people of Israel. Indeed, for humanity, the greatest form of blessing is the Lord to turn his face to shine towards us. There is no blessing greater than that. And that's the opening foundation to the psalm that we have here in front of us. But let me pause here to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do we believe that there is no greater blessing than that of restored, right, good relationship with the living God? Is that the paradigm through which we view this world? Is that the truth that underpins our experience of hardship and suffering? Is that the truth that underpins, underpins our response to suffering? Is that the truth that corrects our focus when we are lured by the love of this world? Or let me put it a different way. Let me ask you this. What do you fear losing? What in your life, if you were to lose it or it were to be taken away, would devastate you beyond coping? The job you've worked so hard to get? The home, that forever house that you have finally moved into? The investments, the pensions, the savings that you have faithfully stewarded, that you've put away? Or maybe less tangible things? Is it your influence? Maybe your ministry? Maybe your friends? the family that you've got, your spouse, your child? What is it that we fear losing? Because the psalmist wants to begin just by refocusing our eyes. He's the optician who is helping us see the world clearly. And his foundational truth, his identity, his desire for those singing this song reading this song, us this morning, is that we understand that the good blessings of this world are just that. They are blessings. And they are things that should give us great joy and great delight. But there is no greater blessing. There is no greater blessing than knowing the blesser himself. The joy 
of relationship with the giver of all blessings is greater than the blessings themselves. And the psalm is then orientated and based upon that truth. We are to love the giver and not the gifts. And ultimately to be blessed is to have the Lord's face shining upon us. Think again to that cricket set. Imagine looking in from the outside. I give it to the boys and they just bicker and argue over who owns which stump. Worse yet, they never let me join in. Even worse, they say, thanks, we have received the pinnacle of all gifts from our dad. We've got a cricket set. We're leaving home. Relationship with dad over. That's not how gifts work, is it? It's not how blessings work. The purpose of a blessing is to draw us closer to the one who blesses us. That's why a handmade clay bowl by a toddler is worth more to grandma than an expensive china bowl from M&S that the child gives to grandma because that's what mum and dad bought them to give at Christmas time. The relationship is what counts. And our psalm opens with that. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. His face is the greatest gift that we can possibly receive. Our God is a God of blessing and that greatest blessing is that of relationship with him. But that's not to say, like a husband who's forgotten his anniversary and says, well, I got you the greatest gift. I'm here still today. You're welcome. No, that's not to say that the Lord is like that. And he merely says, here's the gift of myself. That's all you need. That's true. But he is also a generous and loving God who pours out an abundance of other blessings. And we see them alluded to all throughout the rest of the psalm. Your ways may be known. He does not keep things hidden from us. Your salvation, that is, he provides salvation for people. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly. You guide the nations of the earth. Then down in verse 6, then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. There is blessing exuding from every single verse in the psalm that we have here in front of us. Our God is a God of blessing. Our God blesses us and our blessings are for the world. Because look with me now at verse 2. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Why the blessings? That. That what? That your ways may be known on earth, 
your salvation among all nations. So blessings, why? So God can be known. So what? The peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. That the nations may be glad and sing for joy. So do we see we start with blessing? Why? So that God can be known. So that what? So that there is praise in the nations. And then look at the second half of the psalm. We back up and we cover the same terrain in reverse. Verse 5 repeats verse 3. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then what? Then the land will yield its harvest and God our God will bless us. That's more blessing. God will bless us again, beginning of verse 7. Why? And all of the ends of the earth will fear him. So that's just, um, we don't, we didn't, verse 1 is point 1, and verse 2 to 7 are points 2. And there's a lot to unpack in these verses, but let's just first think about a little bit of context. Think about what you know of the Middle East. That's the geographical setting, that's the context of where this beautiful ancient poem, this song of blessing was written. Now, Granted, there are occasional wonderful exceptions, but generally, the Middle East is not somewhere that we associate with this sort of thinking. When people talk about the Middle East, I imagine what comes to mind are conflicts, strife, bitterness. Less so do we think of groups that are praying blessing on their neighbors. We don't think of people looking around though, and those who surround them and saying, God, you've blessed me to bless them for their joy and so that they could be glad. And if we know much of the history of that region, then we know that's pretty much regardless of when this psalm was written, that it was almost certainly not written in a time where God's people had unstrained relationships with all of their neighbors, because it's pretty hard to find a time where God's people had unstrained relationships with all of their neighbors. And yet here, in a place and a context that is marked by conflict and strife and fighting, the psalmist is writing a song that prays for blessing and that the blessing that they have received will be a means of blessing to the peoples that surround them. Let's just be clear about how he's done this. It's not a case of me praying that if we were in charge, wouldn't it be better, Lord, that... Sorry. (laughs) It's not a case of simply looking out and saying, make me in charge of all of them. The country where we live and serve in the 1990s was racked by civil war. 
estimates consider a possible death toll of nearly up to 100,000. Millions of people were displaced. The peace deal that was negotiated was a settlement of power sharing, which basically meant that there was a sort of uneasy peace that remains even to this day. It sort of bubbles along under the surface and occasionally pops up in moments of civil unrest. And the prevailing political narrative is this. It's us or war, which is quite a good slogan, if a depressing one. Basically, accept this stability and this peace, even if we oppress you, we deny you your rights, we pillage and plunder the land for personal gain, we rule incompetently. It's very much a, we are the devil that you know better, so lump it. This is not the peace that is in offer here in this psalm. The psalmist is praying for what? He's looking ahead to what? He's looking ahead to the nation's gladness, to their joy. This is not peace at any cost. This is joy. And what is that joy in? It is in God. Look at me, look with me at verse 4. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Our blessings are for the world. Remember the cricket set is made for sharing. The psalmist here says, Blessings, salvation, they're made for sharing. And as we demonstrate as a people living under his rule, people want in. They want part of that joy and they want part of that gladness and they get to experience it themselves. The blessings we've received for us will not be truly enjoyed or appreciated until they're shared But maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, Ed, I hear you, it sounds lovely, but how? You don't know my neighbor. You don't know the peoples that surround me. I can't wish blessing on them. You don't know what they've done. How can God wish me to bless those who have sought me harm? It works at every level, whether it's a colleague who undermines you, neighbors who seem to just want to make our lives a misery, nations or political parties that seem to want to make life difficult, religions that seem orientated to harm us. How, Lord, how can you want us to sing a song like this? And so as we wrap up, I want us to look backwards and I want us to look forwards. I want us to look backwards because this is not an anomaly in the Old Testament that suddenly all of these psalms and then randomly the Lord's like, well, let's write one about the nations and then we'll go back to just singing other songs. No, 
Think with me about Genesis chapter 12. You can flick there if you're quick. We're going to get there, read it, and move on. But the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. More blessing. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see the reflection of those verses in our psalm? Blessings for all peoples. How? Through God's chosen people. This is how God works. And you might be sat there going, yes, but Ed, there are curses too for those who curse us. And we will get there in just a moment. But right now, let's just see that this was God's plan from the very outset. It was God's plan in the Exodus. He tells the people as much. I've saved you, not because you're great, but because I want to use you as an example for the nations that are around you so that they will be drawn. Think of Solomon. He received visitors from all around the world coming to see the greatness. That was kind of the pinnacle moment, the moment at which Israel kind of functioned like it was supposed to function. Even think of Jonah. At the heart of The story of Jonah, it is the Lord reaching out to nations and revealing Jonah's racist, selfish heart that does not want to sing Psalm 67. And you might be sat there thinking, well, what about the curses and what about the wars and what about God's judgment that we see throughout the Old Testament? And we don't have time now to go into those things. And that is a dodge, and I'm ducking it, and it's also an invitation. I'm ducking it because we don't have the time, but I am inviting you that if that is a question that you had, there are good answers. So you can talk to me afterwards, you could talk to Andy, you can talk to Dickie, Tiago, any of the elders. But looking backwards, we see in the psalm that this has always been God's plan. This is a current that repeatedly shows up through the Old Testament. But looking forward. Read with me verse 2 again in Psalm 67, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Fast forward in our understanding of the whole story of the Bible. Come with me to a temple in Jerusalem. A young baby is being presented in Luke chapter 2. It's the eighth day. And there's an old man there called Simeon. And he's the one dedicating this baby. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant, that's Simeon himself, in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is what the psalmist is looking forward to. It's this moment. 
not fully knowing how, only knowing that God is faithful. He is a covenant-making God. He makes promises and he keeps them, and he will provide salvation for his people. He's always promised to bless them so that they would be a conduit of blessing to others. He's always said that the purpose of his people was broader than just that one family unit, no matter how vast in number they became. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. How? In Jesus. How? He is the bringer of God's salvation. And this is the great leveler, and if you're here and you're not a believer, you don't believe Christian things at this point in time. Let me say this, that when a boat sinks, everyone on board needs rescuing. And the great theme of the Old Testament, the great theme of the Bible is God is faithfully rescuing his people. He is a rescuing God. Even to those who repeatedly reject their need for saving, thinking I don't need it, even to those who think that they're already saved, God is wooing people to himself. And through the Old Testament, we see many signposts along the way, and then Jesus steps in, the one to whom all the signposts point, the one to whom our psalmist is pointing. So think about Psalm 67 with me. How is God gracious to us? In Christ, he gives us the relationship that we have rejected and do not deserve. How does he bless us? In Christ, he gives us all the fullness of life and spiritual blessings. How does he make his face shine upon us? We don't deserve that. We don't deserve his face of blessing. We deserve his face of wrath. We deserve his anger, his judgment. Going back to the question of curses that I ducked earlier, Ultimately, no matter how good a life we'd lived, no matter how much better that we have been than the people around us who have oppressed us, no matter how much goodness and kindness we have done, we've fallen short in so many ways. And yet God offers his face shining on us. How? Because Christ has taken the face of God's anger and wrath instead of us. so that we can be saved. So that the nations can be saved. One last time, just hit pause. Why hit pause? Who is this written to? It's written to Israel. Most of us here are not physical, direct descendants of Abraham. We are those nations that this psalmist was writing about. If you're from this island, we were once the ends of the earth. 
People tell me I live in the ends of the earth. I do. It's just a different part to the part that you live in. This promise given through the psalmist 2,500 years ago or more is about you, about me, and about God's salvation hope. So if you're looking in on Christian things today and wondering what it's all about, wondering what we believe, why we believe it, here it is in the heart of this psalm. We worship and we fear, and that's just a different word for worship, the God who from day one who has desired to bring in people to himself out of the brokenness of this world to undo that brokenness and to save and to offer relationship, his face of blessing. In fact, he has orchestrated time and history and life events so that you can hear and respond even today to that offer of relationship and blessing. This psalm is famous as a missionary psalm. In fact, the author John Piper has written a book entitled Let the Nations Be Glad. And he opens by saying that missions exist because worship doesn't. And that's true. And it's right. But I want to say this, that more than a mission psalm, this is a gospel psalm. It is a psalm that points us to gospel blessings found only in Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection as his ascension. This psalm points us to God's eternal purposes, to draw people to himself. That picture that we have in Revelation of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered and worshiping God, that is at the heart of what we have here. And it's a psalm that reminds us that there is no place for haughtiness. Salvation levels us. We all need to be saved. And we have no right to withhold those blessings. Not from people in Central Asia, not from people who live around us in Chesterfield. Our God is a God of blessing. And our blessings are for the world. Let's pray. May the peoples praise you, God. May all peoples praise you. Father, I pray that this indeed would be the song of our hearts. Lord, we long to see people brought into your family. from near and from far. Please, Father, please, would you do your work of salvation? And would people come to experience the joy and gladness of living under your good rule? 
In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.